Hello, and welcome back to After the Idea, a podcast by Chicago Ideas. I'm Vanessa, your host, and I can't wait to dive into today's topic, a conversation all about women entrepreneurs and what that means here in Chicago and beyond. If you're new to After the Idea or Chicago Ideas, welcome. Chicago Ideas is the ideas platform for everyone, and this podcast exists to elevate the ideas, initiatives, and the impact of change makers in this city and in our world. Learn more about all things Chicago Ideas from events to content and more at chicagoideas.com. Today, I am lucky to sit down with not one, but two incredible guests. Both of these women are creating new paths and redefining what it means to be a female leader. First, we have Abigail Ingram, the director of the Women in Entrepreneurship Institute at DePaul University, overseeing the Institute's programming, events, and fundraising efforts. The Institute is the nation's first comprehensive institute for women founders that integrates academic learning, research, incubation, funding, and public policy. Our second guest is the amazing Ashley Rockwood. Ashley is a dancer turned entrepreneur and a Chicago Ideas community member, having been a part of our Radical Creators program. She is the founder of Free Movement Shop, the place to move. Free Movement Shop is a boutique fitness studio like none you've ever been to. You can find your favorite classes like dance, yoga, cardio, and bar, but also a focus and commitment to community through their activewear drives, monthly nonprofit of the month program, and more. Welcome both. I am so honored and excited to have you both here in conversation. I'd love for you, in your own words, to tell our listeners a little bit more about each of your journeys before we fully dive in. So I'll start with you, Abigail, to kick us off. First, are you a Chicago native? Did you move here? What's that story? How did you land here in Chicago? I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. After I graduated from Eastern Illinois University, I moved out to Denver to start a business. I started a music studio and ran that for about four years. My family wouldn't all move back or out west, I should say. And so um, coming back to Chicago just made absolute sense to me. Um, I love Chicago. It's a uh, an amazing city and happy to be here. Yeah, that's great. We'll dive more into that music studio that you founded a little bit later, but I love that sort of what brought you back to Chicago is the idea that it feels like home. And I think that's why a lot of people come back here. I'm not from Chicago. I'm an East Coaster and I moved away when I thought I didn't love being in the Midwest and I immediately missed it. Chicago has this element of feeling like home that I think is really different than anywhere else. Ashley, what about you? Are you from Chicago? What brought you here? I am from the Midwest. I'm from Toledo, Ohio, and I moved here to join a dance company post-college, and I've been here ever since. So it's been since 2007, a good 12 years. Feels like home at this point. And it's just a really great place to create and make things. Well, in the spirit of creating and making things, I want to dive into something that you both know intimately, and that's business, starting a business, being an entrepreneur, especially as a woman. Abigail, you have to tell me how to pronounce the studio that you founded. Is it Triaxial? Perfect. So you started Triaxial Studios almost 10 years ago now, and that was not in Chicago. So can you tell me a little bit more about that experience, and do you think it prepared you in any way for what you're doing today? Absolutely. Um, I graduated in 2009, so the prospect of getting a job was pretty poor at that point. It made a lot more sense to move across the country um, in some way and start a music studio as one does. So went ahead, got in the car, moved to Denver. When I moved there, the city was growing really, really rapidly. Um, Not as quickly as it did after legalization, I have to say. The rents weren't quite as high, but that meant that I was able to get space. And it meant that I was able to see a need in the market almost immediately. So I was hanging out with a lot of musicians. Um, I play just a little bit myself, um, but was mostly responsible for the business side. So 
essentially I had all these people who were artists and they were doing something they didn't want to do. They weren't passionate about for their nine to fives. And then they thought that they had to keep music relegated to this one part of their life, but they don't. You can make music full time. You can be a full time musician. And so that was the model that we set out to prove. Amazing. And we were That's awesome. And I love that sort of the arts aspect kind of ties you both together, which is something I have to say when I decided to sit you down, I didn't know. And I was like, wow, this is a happy accident. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So what are the differences? If, if you can speak to this a little bit and maybe there aren't any or any you can highlight, but do you think there's a difference in starting a business in a place like Denver than a place like Chicago? Absolutely. Particularly in the music industry in Chicago, um, there's a huge history here. There are systems that are set in place. There are people who have run things for a very long time. In Denver, I moved out there and it was pretty much a bunch of uh, dubstep and jam bands. So it was a much more wide open field for us to play in. So we were able to start a jazz studio, um, teach lessons, have a full recording studio, and then play gigs um, in many genres all over the place because the population had such a need for it. Um, that's not the case in Chicago. Chicago is an older city. It's more established. So really, a lot of it was luck and hitting the market at the right time. In right. Denver. That makes sense. You talk about music a lot. Do you think, and this is kind of me deviating a bit, but out of curiosity, is there an interest that you think lends itself to Chicago versus Denver? Like the music and art scene might have really been purposeful there. Interesting. But in Chicago, do you think there's a different avenue that someone should take? Or maybe not at all. So in Chicago, I've noticed that people like art that moves. So we aren't a big gallery culture um, in Chicago. There are some and they're wonderful, but I keep seeing more and more galleries kind of closing. Theater, obviously, every neighborhood has their own couple few theaters. That's why I moved here, because of the theater scene. Yeah. You know, we have two kinds of music that are uniquely Chicago. And we have Chicago blues and we have Chicago punk rock. So Chicago, I mean, just anything. And then obviously dance. And uh, I'll let Ashley speak to that (laughs) because she has much more to say about that than I do. But definitely in Chicago, we like that art that moves. In Denver, there wasn't. I mean, of course, there was a strong you know culture and, and everything like that but because the demographic of the city because it was changing so quickly we were there at a time where it was just being written so we could kind of have some um not i wouldn't yeah. say control i won't give us yeah. that much influence because we were a very small studio um but at least could participate in what it was becoming right and you could write your own rules in a way absolutely which is amazing well to talk to you a little bit ashley about free movement shop i love that you sort of gave us that way in with art that moves but you're kind of in the thick of this right now like starting a business building a business tell us a little bit about what motivated free movement shop and how you think it being here in chicago really impacts your success as a woman entrepreneur well yes one i'm definitely in the thick of it. Um, (laughs) So my days are, they're endless. And I think that that is just, I read something the other day that says, you know, if you're stressed, it's probably not right. But if you're, if you're happy during that stress, it's your passion. My motivation for Free Movement Shop really was to expose the art of dance and express the art of dance openly to everyone. So whether you consider yourself a non-mover or a professional mover, but just to like strip that guard down, um, which is part of the reason why I didn't use the word dance actually in our business name, because I think it scares people a lot. Um, It removes a barrier to take it away. It does. And so the word movement feels very much more open and interpretive. And it allows people to say like, oh, I'm a mover. I do yoga. I'm a mover. Or I love to punch. I'm a mover. Or I love to dance. I'm a mover. We are moving every day. The city is full of active people. Yeah, I was just motivated to make dance more accessible for the everyday person. 
Abigail, I'd love to get your perspective on a recent, well, I'll say recent 2018 headline. Inc.com had an article that noted that Chicago has the highest concentration of women-led startups in the nation, which is actually something I learned by reading that article. I did not know that. Very exciting. Proud to say that. But what do you think about that? And do you think it reflects the business climate in Chicago as a whole? Well, first of all, I loved that article. Yeah, same. <laughs> I was so happy to see it. I was also really happy to see it because one of the people they focused on was Genevieve Thiers. Yes. She's one of the founding 40 members of the Women in Entrepreneurship Amazing. Institute. So the way that we were able to launch uh, the Institute was by bringing on a board of 40 amazing entrepreneurs and a couple of executives. So women who have found their way over, around, under, through all of the obstacles that are presented to women starting businesses, of which there are still many. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she's one of the people who really helped us get it off the ground. Um, it was also great to see some of the companies that they highlighted. So I think RX Bar was one yep. that was in that article. Um, that company, one of the co-founders is a DePaul alum. So that's always wonderful to see. Not a woman alum, but nonetheless, yes, um, love to see exciting. those blue demons going on there. <laughs> I think that one of the questions I get most frequently that is occasionally upsetting to me is, well, are women trying to start businesses? So wow. they're saying, you know, you're running this Women in Entrepreneurship Institute. Is it because women aren't as good at it? Do they need more help? Mm-hmm. Um, and these are sort of the kinds of questions that I, wow. I get almost on a daily basis. So to be able to point to a figure that says, no, women, one of three businesses are started by women. And especially in Chicago, I know nationwide about 38% of businesses are women-owned. So we're not having an issue with starting businesses, with having um, ambition, with having ideas, with having models that work. We're having a problem of resources. The support is not there. Exactly. That's what your institute exists to do, is to support that. That's exactly right. Uh, there are a lot of um, you know, deep psychosocial factors that we don't have to dive into over the of course. course of this podcast. Um, but women are not given the opportunities to have leadership positions from the time that we're very small. Um, at the frequency level and in the way that men are. So when you start to extrapolate how um, leadership and and risk aversion and all these kinds of things are programmed into women, um, and you look at how that operates in a business environment, uh, there's some socialization that happens that makes it a little more difficult for us to um, to start businesses. Now, of course, that's not a rule. We're not a homogenous group in any way. But generally speaking, um, right now, 2% of venture capital is going to women. And the wow. other 98% wow. is going to, to I like had companies. a visceral reaction to that statistic. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it's horrifying to believe that that's still the case. Yeah. Um, so that's another reason that we wanted to start uh, the Women in Entrepreneurship Institute at DePaul. Um, You know, we're really uniquely situated. We're in a mission-driven institution. Uh, And we also, we have an end goal in mind. We want to close it down. I want my job to not exist within a couple decades. I've heard Mm -hmm. that. You know, I think that's so interesting and powerful. I've heard that from a lot of people building sort of resource-focused businesses. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this forever. I don't want my job to exist forever. I hope that eventually I'm not needed. But, like, that's such a powerful thing to put out there. Like, if I'm doing my job, well, you won't need me in a decade. You won't need me in 20 years, which is incredible. It seems far away sometimes because there's so much work to do. But I look at examples like uh, in the tech industry. And a couple decades ago, we were looking at numbers that were like 5% of the people working in tech are women. And then now, at most tech companies, they're reporting between 30 and 40% of their employees are women. And it's because somebody said, hey, there's a problem here. And resources were put in place to fix that. 
Now, if we can lend those same strategies that worked for tech into entrepreneurship as a whole, I really think we have a, a fighting chance Absolutely. for giving equal access to opportunity. Yes, and I think you touched on this when you said you saw DePaul alum in that piece, but how do you think the talent pipeline here in Chicago, given sort of our roots in academia with places like DePaul here, how does that support sort of this influx of women-led startups happening? Yeah, Chicago is so lucky to be standing on so many different legs. Uh, there's so many strengths in the city. I know that there's five major industries, so we're not dependent on one sole source. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the talent pipeline goes, uh, it's incredible. And I, I do have to say I'm really grateful to be at DePaul, where 80% of our students who graduate stay in the city. So they're coming from Chicago. They're staying in Chicago. They're starting businesses that make up the fabric of Chicago. So it's wonderful. Yeah, and I think that that's something that, as a city, we should strive towards. Like, how do we make it not only a desired destination to come here and study, but then to practice your craft and and breathe life back into the city? So I think that's a really it's cool to hear that DePaul is achieving that. Ashley, I would love to hear what your experience has been just starting a business in general and then what that means for you about starting a business in Chicago, like beyond the sort of fit aspect, but just the nitty gritty, like the business part of you starting it. Do you believe there have been more roadblocks for you if you were a man starting this business? Would it have been different? Would it have been the same? I'd just love to hear your thoughts there. Well, first and foremost, I have a three-year-old son. So starting my business has been, um, it's very full um, and it's very rich and there's a lot to juggle. And I think just again, touching on maybe why sometimes there's lack of opportunities for women is because, you know, we have a lot to do in this life and creating life is one of them. And I think sometimes that's a roadblock for a lot of people. It's a time setback. It's a, are you going to be available setback? Is it, are you going to be a focus setback? And if anything, I feel like having my son actually really just like motivated me beyond what I even knew I wanted to do with my life because then it was like, oh, I've got this other human to show and to share this experience with. As far as starting a business, you know, I came from a a background in the arts and in dance, and I spent most of my days sweating, rehearsing on stage. And, you know, the business side was totally the back end stuff. And so for me, I've just been like, diving myself into the art of business. Um, I, I'm very inspired and motivated by startups and how they, how they in technology and how they operate. Um, I think there's a lot of education in what they do and how they create. And so I try and apply that model and that, that kind of like grassroots, organic problem solving thinking into my business. And it's very like, do the best you can until you know better. Surround yourself with people that can support you in ways that you feel you can learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, and just keep going every day. Just continue to keep growing, keep building and, you know, acknowledge the acknowledge the hard and assess it, <laughs> process it. Right. And then just put it in a cabinet and keep going. Because if you just carry all that stuff it's tough, but it's it's just so energetic and it's it's just a very incredible lifestyle if you can muster it and you have yes. that that bravery. Yeah, I, I think you touched on two things that I would love actually both of your thoughts on. It's, it's, it's a reality for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. If you choose to start a family, if you choose to be a mother, I'm sure that impacts the path of entrepreneurship in a lot of ways. I've heard from women entrepreneurs 
that talk about the trickiness of balancing family and being an entrepreneur, but also the way you're perceived by the people that need to invest in you. You say that it gives you strength. Yeah. Do you feel that outsiders looking in see it as a strength in you? And do you find it to be a blocker in that way? Of course, your son is never a blocker to you, but yes. do you find that people assess it differently? I could tell you 75 stories of different ways of how to unpack that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like my theory is my son is very present in my life. My family life is very important and it enriches me as a businesswoman. And I surround myself and I work with people who understand and value that. And it's just, it kind of like chops some people off the block. There you go. And that's fine. I have had people tell me, oh, and your mom as a like ending period <laughs> to a statement in maybe not necessarily a positive way, but in a like, oh, and your mom. So like, maybe not. And that's disturbing but also again like I said it, it it kind of clears out certain things and it makes it very clear like who you should work with who you should talk to who you know because you want to you want to surround yourself with people who who understand who you are deep down mm -hmm. as a human mm -hmm. as well as what you what you're capable of in your business yeah you're bringing your human quality to your business free movement shop is basically physical space that's me. So if people don't understand me, then they're not going to get my business. Right. I think that's an amazing segue into what I'd love to hear from you, Abigail. I think it's like the people who do not believe in sort of that holistic aspect of your life maybe aren't the funders you're looking for, the investors you're looking for, the support you're looking for. Do you, in your work with the female entrepreneurs that you work with, find that sort of exploring motherhood alongside founding a company is a challenge? Or, or have you heard that in your work at all? Not from women. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she's in the right. You're hitting she's us in the with right like field. the real. <laughs> she's in the right. She's in the right place. Right, right. I right love place. that. That's real, though. So there are plenty of entrepreneurs that I've worked with who um, have arrangements. If they have a partner, you know, maybe when things get really, really busy in their startup or small business or mid-sized business, whatever stage they're at, they take on more responsibility at home, and that's something that you know we're all balancing roles here um, at this point in time. I think we can agree that there aren't roles that are just assigned to you based on your gender anymore. We're, yes. we're over that, I would hope. Yes, I would hope. Us. Agreed. So are there times when things are difficult because you have this other element in your life? Um, I'm sure that there are. But for me, whenever I hear people talking about their home lives and their children and all of that, um, it just gives me another reason to be in admiration of them. In full agreement there. And I, and I love responses not from women because I think that Sometimes there's a, a narrative in like culture that you can't do both, but I don't believe women think that. Like I don't feel that way. So I, lo I loved hearing that from you. So I think that there's a question. I mean, when we talk about the access that women have or the roadblocks that may be there or that 2% number that you shared with us, there's clearly the question of access and equity. And it's at the center of this discussion. Um, it's at the center of, of, of action that has been pursued here in Illinois. And I'm sure you both know this or maybe have seen it um, here or there, but the state of Illinois did try to pass um, a bill that would have mandated at least one woman on the board of every publicly traded company with it, with, that had headquarters here in the state of Illinois. I don't think that bill passed, but it definitely jump-started a conversation about how to achieve gender equity here in our state and in our city. Abigail, what do you think about this? And does it get to the root of the problem? Is it a Band-Aid? What are your thoughts? So I'm looking back to my law school training here. And quotas are not usually an acceptable legal tool towards equity. I tend to agree with that. I don't think that saying we need so many of this particular type of person, because then again, we get back to these are not homogenous groups. Mm -hmm. um, I always find that incentivizing companies to do what I consider to be the right thing, which is to have a diverse representation at every level of their company, C-suite included, um, there are financial reasons to do this. 
Uh, if you are looking to sell to an open market, you need to have a person who represents the market on your team or you're not going to understand how to engage with them yeah. and sell to them. So even if people aren't doing things for the right reasons, for inclusiveness, um, there are still incentives that we can explain to people that make sense why they would have to, to have um, you know, mixed gender boards. And this is something that, you know, we get into a lot of times with women founders too, because I work in a space that is mostly women. And so at what point do we introduce men and all these kinds of conversations? So um, that turns into a a whole other thing. But what it comes down to is that you you need all types of diversity, um, ethnicity, race, gender, age, you know, point of view. You need all of these types to have a fully functioning business. So if we could look at it that way, instead of a mandate coming from the top down, Mm -hmm. exactly. uh, I think that's a healthy way to approach it. Do you have thoughts on it, Ashley? I couldn't agree more just about we're in a very women-heavy experience right now where a lot of the working spaces or a lot of the events are are focused on, you know, women and as beautiful as it is because it is very much our time, it, you know, again, it, it creates a section. Mm-hmm. And so when is it when does it open up again? And, you know, even with Free Movement Shop, people have been like, oh, is this only for women? And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, it's it's women owned and I'm proud to say that it's women owned, but it's but it's for everyone. And I think, you know, it's good to have the conversations and it's great to have that support and build it. And then from there, how do we just continue to grow and expand outside of those boxes? Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about sort of the the power of community and and sort of building up women, especially, and I think a lot of what you do at the Institute is definitely rooted in this, but um, you both, regardless of sort of your your place in, in women and entrepreneurship, there's definitely the impact that community has on what you build. And with more women starting businesses and, 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 and seeing more women in leadership roles, I think there's a very particular community emerging here in Chicago. How do you think the power of community impacts your work. I think I'd love to hear from you, Abigail, your work in the in the work that you do, and then you, Ashley, actually being the founder in the business, the work that you do. So if you want to kick us off, Abigail, and just let me know that. First of all, communities are extremely powerful. We are using a cohort model for our accelerator, so we just had our very last Accelerate Her. Accelerate Her. Oh, I love see it. What I, did I, there? Love, I do see nice. it. I like it. <laughs> nice. Uh, The last meeting of our first cohort was this past Friday, and um, we have a big event this week to sort of celebrate, you know, within the family, everyone completing. Um, I won't have success metrics on what exactly that looks like Mm -hmm. right away, but um, just from a cursory glance, I can tell you that these nine companies who went through nine weeks of business development um, added 12 jobs. Um, to the economy in Chicago, which is significant when you look at the number of companies in the short amount of time. So we're really interested in building that economic impact. And the fact that they have each other to lean on in that cohort is absolutely huge. The fact that they have over 40 women who have found their way to success who are on the board is the other big piece. Because a lot of times networking, we talk about it, it's almost become a cliche word at this point. Um, But, you know, your net worth being your network kind of thing um, is a lot of times. Yeah, it's it's very true. It really is. So being able to connect a group of women who just went through this intensive business development experience with 40 women who have, you know, designed and delivered and implemented and been serving as mentors for them. um, All of a sudden we start to see these amazing connections starting to happen. uh, And that's having impact already. I think about my career and though I'm not a founder 
yet. (laughs) Um, Every stepping stone has been based in my network. Every single one, like every transition I've made, every promotion I've received, everything has been rooted in my network and honestly has been predominantly driven by women. And I think that I couldn't agree more that your net worth is directly impacted by your network. And I and I love that You know, there are spaces being created for women to explore this across the board. I would love to hear from you, Ashley, and and sort of your role as a founder and sort of at the beginning stages of launching a business, how community has really impacted your success thus far. I think community begins very early on in life. And so for me, as soon as I moved to Chicago in 2007, I didn't realize how much of a community I was building. There's just a lot of support in the arts community in particular, which is where I really started. Yeah. And so it's just nice to have, you know, that like backing um, people to talk to. I feel like, again, the more you diversify your community. So part of the reason that I got involved with Chicago Ideas was, you know, my husband was like, I think this would be a really great group for you to like you know, start to introduce these ideas of business and learn more about entrepreneurship. And I was like, I don't know if they're going to like, who am I? You know, um, when I was looking at the list and seeing all, you know, everyone's accomplishments. And and then you just realize that it's people. And so this community in particular has been really amazing and very inspiring for me. The fitness community is just loaded with awesome people here. And so I've had a lot of people at my back, just kind of cheering and connecting from person to person. And, you know, Chicago is is small and we love our people. And and so if there's a way to facilitate some sort of connection, there's always someone making it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've had a connection, you pay it forward. You do it for someone else and then they do it for someone else. And it's just kind of constant and it just makes it very lush and connected. I love that you describe Chicago as small. Because it's massive, but I think when you think about community, the word small fits because I think that the lines are so dotted. And when you have your community, it feels very connected and it feels very small worldish. In addition to what you feel about community as a founder, what I learned about Free Movement Shop and what I see in the work that you do is a lot of what you're putting back into your business is rooted in community as well. It's all about building community. Tell us about what sort of led you from dancer. And and you've danced with Beyonce. I have to to mic drop that for a second because if we're going to talk about strong women, (laughs) we have to bring up Beyonce. Beyonce (laughs) is a very strong woman. (laughs) Honestly, what an achievement that Beyonce made it into this episode. (laughs) That's an achievement in my life for sure. Which is incredible. So you, I mean, you have sort of the background in dance and I think that being an artist can teach you a lot about being a business founder. Absolutely. Um, So what is sort of that trajectory from like on the stage in the lights to like building something for your community to take and and have with it what they will? Yeah, it's been something that's been a part of me my entire life. And I've just been in so many, a variety of scenarios through gigs and tours. And you just kind of see how people operate and what people enjoy. And really, I'm in the I'm in service. Like, let's be real. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in the service industry. <laughs> and I want to make people feel good. And I want to make people enjoy, you know, movement. And so having the experience where I was teaching, you know, kids who are baby babies, working with adults who have never danced a day in their life, working on, you know, the southwest side of Chicago and All of these things just combined have given me so much perspective on how to teach and how to work with people. And I think that 
in any business, your ability to understand people and their problems or what needs to be solved is basically, that's business. Like 101, I would say, that would be my like first thing is like understanding people and what their problem is. Little things that we can do to help community, help people who are in need, but also support our business and, and bring people into our doors because they're like, oh, that's unique. Yeah. Um, that's social are, entrepreneurship, honestly, yeah. what you're doing. It's just, it's like a fun new way to look at, you know, marketing our business or, or sharing our brand story is mm-hmm. like, we really do care about all aspects of the people, not just people that are physically here, but people who are trying to access fitness or health and wellness in other spaces as well. Love it. I have a question for you, Abigail, about because something that dawned on me and just all the sort of female founders that I've studied in my time or that I've met or that I've worked for, Business 101, you found a problem and you're going to solve it. Do you find sort of this through line in the types of businesses that women found? There's something in like impact or like that's really going to change a life that I feel like women have this knack for founding. And I don't know if that's anecdotal on my part or if you feel that in your work as well. Even if it's across industry like wellness, tech, anything you're sort of solving, it feels like it's truly solving a problem that could change a woman or anyone's life. So I would love to hear your thoughts on the types of businesses that women are founding. So we're definitely socialized to be caretakers. We're given the baby dolls from the time that we're small and set at the blocks, et cetera, et cetera. Because we have been told that this is our role, I think it explains part of why women tend to start businesses that are more um, either directly around caretaking. So whether that's something in service to a family or children, um, those types of businesses that are often passed over by VCs because of a simple lack of understanding based on the way that most male VCs are socialized. Even the businesses that aren't within that sort of vertical, whether they're a tech business, um, there, there do tend to be social enterprise elements built in. Um, just like Ashley was talking about, she has this love for her community. And so she's going to build that into her business model. Her business model does not operate without this giving back and this service. Right. I think that we're taught to be that way. And it's a wonderful way to yeah. be. And so um, while I don't see a real strong industry vertical, either within the companies that make up my board or the companies that make up the Accelerate Her there are some elements that tend to, yeah. to run through. It's Yeah, I agree. And it's and it could be just like the lightest, most subtle touch, but it seems like it's always there when it comes to a women-founded business. So I know we've talked about sort of the pathway to free movement shop, but I would love to talk about the path to the Institute and how that came to life and how that programming came to life and, and sort of like your involvement in it. Like take us on that journey and how we got here today. Like how, how long has it been running? First of all, the Institute is relatively new. Absolutely. Soft launched uh, July of 2018 and our first Accelerate Her cohort began in April. So I was, I signed on as the inaugural director in February of this year. So very new, very exciting. That is exciting. Uh, In order to get to that point where we could launch it, um, we had to raise funds because that's the way that every business works, including those within academia. Wow. I actually wouldn't. I don't know anything about that. And that's so cool. That's interesting to learn that, like, even though you are existing within an academic institution, you still have to function like a business. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So because um, I was coming on as sort of a volunteer staff at first and then a staff of one at first, I needed help. So the way to get to the amount of money that we needed, um, we sort of decided that going with 40 founding members was the way to do it. So each of these women are not only funding, but helping to develop the programming and really helping to shoulder the work that makes up what we're doing at the Institute. Um, I have to give a lot of credit to Joan Hannett. She's the founder and CEO of the Soma Institute, which is also in the loop. Um, She 
was an original board member of the Coleman Entrepreneurship Center and um, really decided that we had to do something for women. So I was working at the Coleman Entrepreneurship Center. We saw really high rates of attrition for women going through our programs, and that's when it clicked for me. We are not yeah. serving women yep. the way that we need to be yep. serving them. Started looking around and realized that high attrition for women going through accelerators, incubators, any sort of business development program was incredibly normal. And so I started thinking, you know, maybe this is a problem with the model and not a problem with women. It becomes very easy to think about how can we fix women to fit into the way that we're supposed to start a business or we're supposed to pitch to investors. And, you know, maybe it's not us that are broken. Maybe the model is broken. So this is where the idea for having our own Accelerate Her came from. And um, in doing so, we're trying to redefine what an accelerator looks like so that women have that equal access to opportunity that others have had going through those programs. That's amazing. I love that you're like, we took a look at the bottle. We took a look at women. I don't think women are the issue here. <laughs> like, I mean, we have ideas. We're founding businesses. But this is not catering to her. This is not talking to her. So I think the question, I mean, we could talk, I could talk about women in entrepreneurship for the rest of this whole day. But I think what our listeners probably want to know, and I will let you kick it off, Abigail, and I'd love to hear your thoughts too, Ashley, is what's the next step? What can we do and what is already being done to address the hurdles that women entrepreneurs have to jump over to start a business, to really get their ideas off the ground? Obviously, the work that you're doing is a step in the right direction. You jumping in and just starting your business and learning as you go, that is a step in the right direction. But what else can we do as a city? I think we can start very much as a city, but then as a society, as a country, to remove the roadblocks. How can we get that 2% number not there? So we have to start with confronting the bias that we have. Mm -hmm. And this isn't about men being biased against women only. Steve Biko said the strongest weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. So if we can start to untangle what it looks like to have biases even against parts of ourselves, it's a huge step. I encourage everyone, whether it's an online bias test, these are everywhere these days, super mm -hmm. easy to find. But go ahead and start doing a little bit of digging because you're gonna find out that there are things inside your brain that you didn't necessarily know were there oh, or that you I don't like. <laughs> There's a ton of studies where you know they're like, well, because of homophily, uh, women, venture capitalists, must give more money to women because they look like them and, and so on and so forth. And those studies don't, don't mm. bear that out. Women are just as hard on women. Oh. So if we can kind of start to you know, admit that we might have some biases and then look at what those are and then untangle, um, it'll be easier for every Everyone. party. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So that's a good start. Um, as far as supporting women businesses, I would say just it's very general, but be an educated consumer. Be aware of where I mean, we, we truly do vote with our dollars. Mm -hmm. If it's important to you to support women owned businesses, then find out if the businesses that you support are women owned. Women -owned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very simple. If there are you know ways that people out there want to get involved with the Women in Entrepreneurship Institute, I'm always open for that discussion. Um, our website is go.depaul.com. Dot edu backslash wei that's for women in entrepreneurship institute we are going to be holding two sessions um, on july 19th that are open for the public i also want to make sure that all of your listeners know our programs are not just for DePaul students or alumni. They that's are for every Chicagoan. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. So the idea behind the Accelerator is can we take your business to market over the course of the program? Mm -hmm. Or if you're already a launched business, mm -hmm. what new market do you want to enter mm -hmm. over those nine weeks? So um, go to our website, check out those two informational sessions on July 19th. We'll also be going over how to do your market research and your financial projections and how to come up with your only statement. My business is the only one that... 
uh, these are really useful. I don't know if it had crossed my mind yet, but I love that it's open to, it's not just to Paul students. I think that's really powerful. Like I saw Ashley over there raising her hand. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I think it's you're great. Invited. I, you're you're, in, you're yeah. invited. <laughs> so what's next books. for Free Movement Shop? What's next? When did you, when did Free Movement Shop start? When did you launch? Yeah. So Free Movement Shop started as a pop-up. We took a four-month long lease. We got a great deal on a little space because they were going to tear the building down and no one wanted a four-month lease. And so I was like, all right, we'll take it. (laughs) We'll take it and we'll call it a pop-up. So we did our first pop-up January 2018 through April. Mm -hmm. And that was great. I got to get my feet wet, figure out if I was even like interested in this market and what it was going to take. Took some time off and then we've just reopened. We've been back open now in Lincoln Park for eight months. Um, So we're in full swing mode. We have a a permanent location and a home. Yeah, I mean, what's next for us? We're just continuing to build and grow our community and, and what people have access to in our space. We're really looking to start building more programming um, outside of just movement-based experiences, so things that also like move the mind in different capacities. So just talking about, again, business, I think meeting more women in business and hearing more stories. How I Built This is like one of my favorite podcasts. Shout out. Um, <laughs> and so, after the ideas. And too. after the ideas. <laughs> and after the ideas. But just continuing to facilitate those conversations with women in business and utilizing my physical space of free movement shop to make more of that happen incredible. for our community. So you both are incredible. I loved your both of your unique perspectives. And I hope that you sitting down has forged a connection that can last beyond this podcast. Thank you both so much for being here. It was definitely an eye opening conversation for me. I learned a lot today. Um, obviously, we know that women have some stronger roadblocks than men. But I think the numbers that you shared really gives us a look at it and sort of a stare in the face as to what we're facing and, and what we can do to change that narrative. There is definitely ways we can make this better for all of us. So I hope this was inspiring for our listeners, especially you budding entrepreneurs out there. You can keep in touch with today's guests. You can keep in touch with Ashley and Free Movement Shop at freemovementshop.com, as well as at Free Movement Shop on Instagram. And that's free, M-V-M-T shop. Anywhere else they can stay in touch, Ashley. You'll find me there. I'm always there. Okay, amazing. And then, Abigail, if you wouldn't mind just repeating that URL for us again, any women founders out there, you're thinking about a business, you want to get involved, you want to get in touch with Abigail, where can you find her? Go to go.depaul.edu backslash W-E-I. Perfect. Thank you both so much. I'm super inspired and charged, and I just can't thank you enough for being here. For even more from Chicago Ideas, don't forget to visit us at chicagoideas.com, and please stay in touch on social media. We have a lot of fun there. We are Chicago Ideas on Instagram and Twitter, and we are Chicago Ideas Week on Facebook. And save the date, because Chicago Ideas Week is back this October 12th through 17th, and this year we are kicking things off on a Saturday night. Before Chicago Ideas Week, though, meet us in the parks this summer for Platforms in the Park. It is a citywide initiative and it is in collaboration with Chicago Park District and presented in partnership with Xfinity and it's designed to activate the city of Chicago around hyperlocal experiences that empower everyone to claim their platform and share their own ideas. You can learn more about that at chicagoideas.com platforms. And if you loved today's episode, tell a friend and please subscribe and rate us so you don't miss out. Thanks again to our guests, Abigail Ingram and Ashley Rockwood. You two were amazing. To our partners at DePaul University for the inspiration behind today's episode and for connecting us with Abigail. And to our listeners whose support keeps us recording week after week. Till next time. Till next time.